And welcome to another episode of Where Are We Going Today? Let's take the first few moments to center ourselves. Perhaps we can close our eyes. Let go of the past. Let go of the future. And relax into the now, the present. Whenever the body's still, we can try to focus our awareness on our breath coming in and out. Try and tune into that place of relaxed awareness. And that simple experience of knowing. And try to hold that awareness in a way that is not too tight, nor is it too loose. We find relaxation when it's just right. One of my earliest and most impactful inspirations in my mountaineering life was a man named Harvey Butchert. I think he died around the mid-1990s or so. Close to 100 years old, as I recall. But he had an interesting story. I think he grew up, was born around 1900 or so, to missionary parents living in China. And he'd later recount how when he was a young child, his eyes were always drawn to a particular painting on the wall of their living room in China. It was of a landscape that looked altogether different from where he was living at the time. It was a desert landscape with colorful cliffs, a deep gorge, and perhaps a sense of the infinite when he looked at it. And when he got a little older, he asked his parents about this painting on the wall. And they said it was a painting of a place in America called Grand Canyon. And so, as Harvey got older, he eventually went to school, to college. He was very interested in math. And when he graduated, he decided to look for work somewhere in America, somewhere close to Grand Canyon. 
and he eventually found a job as a professor of math, as I recall, at NAU, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, only about an hour from the south rim of Grand Canyon. And so when he finally moved to the U.S., moved to NAU, Flagstaff, he embarked on what would become a 40 or 45 year journey of exploring this place that had fascinated him since he was just a young child. But he was no ordinary explorer. And so imagine he probably came upon Grand Canyon when he was, say, in his 30s or 40s. I don't remember exactly, but say in the 1930s or the 1940s. And he had what seemed an insatiable desire to explore the vastness. A canyon that is in places, I think, some 10 miles across and a mile deep. Over the years, I've had the good fortune to take first-timers to see Grand Canyon, and their reaction almost always is one of awe. It's jaw-dropping. And so Harvey showed up at a time when not many people were exploring Grand Canyon, and indeed he was a pioneer. That is, after the Native Americans that had come before him. And I remember one particular thing that I'd read or heard about his explorations is when he arrived on the south rim of Grand Canyon, at the time there were only something like five known routes from the rim down to the river. And he thought, hmm, these are routes that Native Americans had no doubt found, but I wonder if there are more. So he became entirely fascinated about trying to find ways from the rim down through the various cliff bands that were ever-changing and constantly providing challenges to get down to the river. And by the time he had finished his 40 or 45 years of explorations, he had expanded what was then known as only five routes from rim to river to something like 95 different routes from the rim to the river. And along the way, he developed a keen interest in finding his way not only down to the river, but up to the various temples and buttes and towers that dot Grand Canyon, more than 200 of them. So the Grand Canyon runs something like 210 or 220 miles, I think it is, from east to west, Lee Ferry to Pierce Ferry. And he set out to explore seemingly every inch of it, finding amazing caves and cliff dwellings and ruins, finding his way up probably close to a hundred of those temples and towers at Dot Grand Canyon. And a lot of those efforts were aimed at getting across the river, which is no easy task. He'd take inflatable rafts and carry them down launch the raft on one side, the south side of the river, the Colorado, and it's a big river. And find his way across to the north bank so that he could escape and wander up some other canyon on his way up to some tower or peak or temple up above him. 
about a decade or so ago, a book about his life came out. It was called Grand Obsession. I thought it was excellent. It was written by these two men with their own deep relationship with Grand Canyon about the life of Harvey. And I particularly like their approach, how it would have an auto, excuse me, a biographical chapter about Harvey's life. And then the next chapter would be about these two men trying to follow in Harvey's footsteps, maybe exploring a route to the top of a peak that Harvey climbed or trying to retrace one of his rim to river routes. Really quite a good book. And it had a number of photos as well. And the first one I remember really stands out. It was the front cover photo, I think it was. It's got this beautiful picture, this classic image of Grand Canyon. And it seems like such a contemporary picture, this man standing on the rim on an overlook above a cliff, cliff looking across at the canyon. And it does seem indeed like a contemporary picture until you notice something about his hairstyle, something about the clothes he wears, and realize that the photo was actually taken, I think, in the 1950s. It's a great shot. And another shot that really stands out about that particular book is a picture of Harvey on a beach down along the Colorado in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, 50 yards ahead of the cameraman, seemingly walking away at a furious clip headed who knows where. And that actually became one of Harvey's trademarks, so to speak. He was such a tireless explorer. He was incredibly fit and incredibly fast. And he had many, many rugged miles to cover, often just in a single day. And so he couldn't waste the time with slower partners. He often did these adventures by himself. If partners weren't as fit as him or as adept at traveling smoothly over such technical and highly varied terrain, they were a liability, and so it was easier for him to just go off on his own. So over these decades of exploration of Grand Canyon, Harvey kept tireless journals, meticulous, at times tedious, his notes for his explorations. And shortly after his death, some of these journals were compiled into one or two books about the explorations of Harvey, Butchert, and Grand Canyon. And around the time I moved from Florida out to the Mojave Desert, Las Vegas, I happened upon these journals, these incredibly tedious, analytical, personality-less articulations of an explorer and his explorations in the canyon. But I loved looking through the lack of personality and trying to pull out the details. I was inspired by this man's enthusiasm, his indeed obsession for this grand place. And he inspired me to go to Grand Canyon and start to explore to find my way down through the cliffs 
down toward the river, up to the mountaintops, looking, seeking, and exploring. I remember one such description from his journals. He talked about finding a way off the rim and working his way out to a particular temple. And along the way, he came across some Indian artifacts underneath a particular overhang on the east side of this temple, not far from the top of it. And I remember when I was taking his journals as my field guides, trying to find my way to the top of that particular temple, I passed along the edge of a couple juniper trees, skirt along the edge of a small pine tree, and approached an overhang on the edge of a cliff not far from the summit of the temple. And there indeed, I came across the very same artifacts that Harvey described finding there decades and decades earlier. And I felt a real extra special connection to Harvey. He'd been such an inspiration to me. And to happen upon, as if by accident, some of the very same things that he had found that probably delighted his day as it did mine. It deepened the connection I felt in my heart for this man who was no longer with us. In a number of years after that, I had an opportunity to go mountain climbing with one of Harvey's former partners in Grand Canyon. At the time, he must have been an extremely fit athletic person if he could keep up or even be invited to go with Harvey. By now, this man was probably close to 80 years old, but he was incredibly active in his mountaineering efforts. He climbed thousands upon thousands of mountains in the western United States and thousands more, I'm sure, across the globe. He'd go off on many month adventures in his vehicle, trying to find the highest point in the various counties of the various states all over the U.S. And last I heard, he'd completed practically every county high point in the entire U.S. This is no small feat. And so when I had an opportunity to lead this particular veteran an incredibly prolific mountaineer with a direct connection to my mountaineering hero, Harvey, to climb a challenging technical peak in the Mojave Desert, not far from Grand Canyon, I, of course, jumped on the opportunity. It turns out he had a buddy along with him who was kind of a quirky, interesting, enthusiastic guy who wrote this amazing book about calculating and evaluating the, say, worthiness of mountains based upon their relative elevations, whether it's from sea level to their summits, or perhaps a dry earth model, imagine a globe with no water, so from the bottom of the sea floor to their summits, or perhaps from the center of the earth to their summits. He wrote this incredibly analytical book, fabricating different ways to give prominence and importance 
to this mountain climbing that we found so interesting and worthwhile. This quirky character, a few years later, I would hear, died in a house fire. And I was told it was an act of suicide, though I have no idea if it was or not. And so Harvey inspired me to really dig deeply into places like Grand Canyon, to touch these vast landscapes, to lace up my shoes and wander deeply, to settle into the calm assurance that life breathed amidst the shifting colors as the sun moves across the sky, the breezes as they come and go. A bird flits here, flits there, then disappears. And there's a sense of, sense of warmth, a sense of connection in this subtle vibration of life and living. Grand Canyon can be a deeply meditative space. Although my wanderings have cooled a bit, I still feel drawn to the canyon, for it seems to breathe as well. This sprawling desert has life. There's life in its stillness just as we can experience our own life in the stillness. The agitated mind cannot see clearly, but a cool and calm mind watches and sees and settles and experiences clarity. The breath comes and it goes in the same way that seasons and people and thoughts and clouds come and go. Harvey was here and then he was gone. I am here and one day I too will be gone. The Grand Canyon is here but it changes in each moment of its existence, shifting, transforming. With each breath we watch, we grow, we know. <laughs>